Welcome to another episode of Agency Unfiltered. Today we have Nicole Pereira, CEO of Remotish. In this episode, we discuss her team's emphasis on employment experience, which she notes is not employer brand. And Nicole's quick to point out that employment experience is something smaller agencies and smaller organizations can derive the most value from, and it's not something necessarily reserved for larger teams. Happy workers mean better employee retention, of course, but how does the employment experience manifest itself in her organization? We talk about the systems and processes that make it happen. Things like career crafting and role progression, entrepreneurial projects and cross-training, work-life integration and intentionally asynchronous communication, and she gives us the details on her approach to all of that and so much more. Agency Unfiltered, coming at you right now. Nicole, welcome to Agency Unfiltered. Thanks for uh, dialing in. Hi, nice to see you again. I think um, we've talked before, so it's really cool to get connected. Again, I remember one time you flew out to one of my offices before, so that was really cool. Many, many years ago. Yes, uh, it's always nice to sync up. One of the benefits of doing these remote these days is we get to sync up uh, from coast to coast, uh, so that works out pretty well. Um, just for folks to get some context, where, uh, where are you located in the U.S.? Physically, I'm located in San Diego. Uh, as a company, though, we're kind of like all over the place. We have team members in Brazil and India and Mexico and all across the United States. So I'm, I'm just one dot on the map. I can't claim like this is where we are located. It's just where I'm located. Yep. Nope. That's totally fair. And nothing wrong with being in San Diego. That's the uh, for all the folks listening in, maybe from New England right around this time of year. They're uh, they're probably envious of, of what you're looking at outside for sure. Yeah, you know, the 80 degree weather has been yeah. really difficult to handle this winter. Um, <laughs> so. uh, it has been blistery cold up here, as you can imagine. Um, now, Nicole, I'm excited to get into this. I think the topic at hand here uh, are, uh, or is the employment experience of your agency, Remotish, on uh, the emphasis there. And so it's, I think it's just worth noting that, that we're even just calling it the employment experience or building employment experiences. And from your perspective, it's, it's vastly different or distinctly different than employee experiences, or maybe even just the employer brand that other partners are looking to build. Uh, and so maybe the best place to start, just hit us with your definitions of these terms and where you draw the lines in the sand for distinction. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think everybody understands employer brand and employer branding, and there's even people with that title these days. I think HubSpot does a mm -hmm. fantastic job of it. Um, but it really, it's like once recruitment finishes, I, I feel like employer brand falls off. Like, all right, you've already established this is a great place to work. Um, now actually show us that it's a great place to work. Um, I also think the employee experience is only one side of the employment experience, and it doesn't factor in the involvement the employer has. It's almost like an employee just experiences something, but no one is driving that experience. Sure. So for me, employment um, experiences is kind of like this, this conscious effort to build uh, a valuable two-way relationship between employer and employee. And there's sort of 
requisites on both sides of the fence for that to happen. It's active participants on both sides. Um, whereas employee experience is just the result of potentially an employer not putting any pressure on the sure. situation. It could be a good thing. It, it could be a bad thing. But purposely trying to craft in a, an employer uh, employment experience, I think, is a little bit harder, right? It's you don't become a victim of the results, but you're actually trying to drive something to happen in, in your favor, whatever that might look like. Yeah, you even said it's, it's uh, active participation, it's ownership, and it's probably accountability on the employer side of things uh, to, to, to put measures and plans and processes and a culture in place to enable a positive employee experience. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and I think up until this whole remote situation happened, I think only a small set of employers figured out they could craft really healthy employment experiences and drive culture. I mean, you can't just like say, this is the culture and then sure. be the culture. Right. Um, but people couldn't figure it out. There's a lot of people who argue culture just naturally happens, but I feel like you can drive the type of culture you wanna see in your organization. You can reinforce it in a certain way. Um, and that takes a, like a conscious effort. Yeah. What's interesting though, is like small agencies like me don't necessarily think about these things. Like this is something that big agencies who have retention problems, uh, this is big companies who are trying to solve, you know, how do we keep the talent because it's expensive to lose them. Um, but interestingly enough, I feel like the small companies actually could benefit the most from these situations. I think it has a, a higher impact on a personal level for both sides of the fence when this is thought about and invested in, in our organization. Yeah, um, I do. Culture is a really great point. I think I have a question for you a, a little later on culture, but why don't we, so you mentioned it's worthwhile to put energy into this, even as a small agency. I'd love for you to, for A, confirm how big your agency is and B, uh, uh, why place such an emphasis or why have such intention around the employment experience? So, you know, talk to me about the decision to, to actually put some energy into this. Yeah, so we're, we're 10 people. <laughs> we're very boutique. We're very small, um, but very happy. And that was a big part of it. I, I spent a really long time in employment experiences that I did not enjoy, even all the <laughs> As way- we all may have yeah, at I some know. point, right? <laughs> yeah, I have had my moments and even a company I owned, I was, I just witnessed the culture happen. And it was one of those things where I didn't understand I could influence that. And, and I became a victim of my own culture and we were heavy office culture, uh, you know, clocking your 10 hours, work it hard, type A personalities, push, push, push. Um, and I'm naturally a night owl. So force me to come in at 9am and you're going to get the worst version of me. I work really well asynchronously. Um, I don't like to have like an eight hour focused window of work. I like to like spread it out, take a day off, do it on the weekends. I'm just unique like that. But in my own company, in my own culture, I didn't have that option. No one else knew how to be that way. It's, uh, I think before COVID happened, there was a saying where it's like, if you have one remote worker, you all have to behave like a remote worker sure. or that person will be isolated in such a way where th they will never be you know, feel like a part of the team. And so I was, you know, forced to behave like everyone else because no one else knew how to adjust. No one else knew how to uh, communicate asynchronously or do sure. all these other things. We just didn't have options. We didn't bake in the ability to allow people to have these options. So 
in my own company, I became a very dissatisfied worker um, <laughs> because, you know, there was just, I was one person. Why change the whole engine for me? Now that we're all remote and all experiencing these things and all sorts of variety has been thrown into it, I feel like this conversation now is a hot topic. Whereas yeah. as I was pushing this conversation before, it didn't seem like priority. People didn't necessarily feel the pain to realize that this is something worth doing. And there's two ways to look at it. Either you do it maybe like me, because altruistically, you think it's a good thing to do. You enjoy the quality of the relationships when you do these things. It just fulfills your happiness index. Sure. Alternatively, it makes sense because if you have happier workers, you're going to retain them. So if you're if you're more focused on the bottom line, uh, you know, um, making sure that the shareholders are getting the most value from a company, you don't want to lose people. So doing things that allow you to retain talent, being creative in that way, which nowadays it's less creative, is smart. It behooves you, even if you're not altruistic, even if your motives are not considered pure. Um, we all need to make money and businesses need to, to keep humming. And so it, no matter how you look at it, it should be done. Um, if you're not investing in this and you are looking at the bottom line, you're you're harming your business. You're not setting yourself up for long-term success. You're going to have turnover. You're going to have loss of historical knowledge in your company. So yep. it's a retention strategy to, to it's it, the investment in this is far less than losing talent. Happy employees equal uh, retained employees equals better output uh, mm -hmm. acceleration to value and, and a whole slew of other things. I love that. Um, so let's get, let's get, let's take it into some tactics. How does the employment experience, uh, uh, how is it manifested uh, within your agency? So what systems, processes, priorities, what have you put into place to make it all happen? Yeah. So as I've been sort of like diving into this, uh, you know, when I left my last agency, I really had a decent amount of time to think about like, what do I want in work? You know, like I have to make money, you know, it's like, you know, I don't That's have the option yeah. to, to be <laughs> on the sofa playing video games all day, which I did for a good month when I left, but you know, what would I want? And could I build a little utopia for the, the workers like me, you know, sure. Not everybody wants what I want, but can I build something and articulate it in such a way that people who do want what I want can, naturally like gravitate towards me we can work in a better way together because we have similarities um and and i think i spent about six months really thinking on that and when i started the new agency i i started with this intention from day one um and so i i over the, the last two and a half years that i've had this agency um i've sort of been able to bucket like certain tactics or, or objectives into two areas. So one is, um, you know, improving your talent or your product. So your, your talent to be just happier um, and better workers is important. But if you have knowledge workers where you actually sell their brains, mm -hmm. um, then you want to invest in that product development, just like a manufacturing plant would try to make their your manufacturing processes more lean and efficient. Um, if you make pizzas, right, you want to, to make that a better pizza. You're going to test, sure. you're going to make it taste better. You're going to get better portions. Why wouldn't you do that with the people who you're selling? And so if you're selling knowledge workers, it's actually really critical. Like if you're not doing this, you're not investing in your product. It's like, why would anybody buy from you if you're not continuously investing in your product? 
Um, the other one is improving, uh, you know, uh, happiness and well-being of your employees, um, a happier, healthy workforce that has higher retention. So yep. you're like, how do I make more money off the people I have? And how do I keep the people I have? Um, the two important things. Uh, underneath improving your talent product, I have uh, career crafting, uh, role progression, uh, intrapreneurial projects and cross-training. We could talk about that a little mm -hmm. bit more. Yeah. Under uh, improving happiness and well-being, I have uh, a goal of trying to integrate work and life. I, I don't I don't always really say balance because it's like there's no balance. You can't be like on this side we have this. Sure. It's not so black and white these days. It's, it's all not. just a state of blurred gray between the two. Sure. It's not. Sure. You want to integrate in a way that makes sense for someone. And it's different for everyone, especially nowadays. Integration is different. So, you know, remote options, flex time options, um, asynchronous working and communications, reduced working schedules. I have a lot of thoughts on those items. And, you know, we're called remotish for a reason. It's an ode to remote working and all yeah. the, the, the benefits that that kind of life could bring. Um, and those, those are the two things I see. I feel that the improved talent and product are like the easier things to actually do. Mm. I think a lot of these things naturally in different forms some, somewhat are baked in, uh, but maybe not with as much intention. So putting a little bit more intention behind it actually really is a, a fulfilling experience for both sides of the fence. Mm. I think what's invested in less is employee uh, happiness mm. and well-being, and that costs money for an employer it costs resources um and it's sometimes it's just spinning the way you think about developing that stuff and i have some tips on it yeah. um i almost want to start at the first one i yeah, want to get to yeah, both yep yeah. but if i think of improving talent and product is is this synonymous or aligned with professional development and i actually and i also heard you say career crafting and is that a pur purposeful rebrand to career pathing and so i'm just curious as to, yeah. to some of the word choices and, and some of the methodologies you've uh, put into practice here yeah i think I, over time i've started to like break out more and more the pieces because yeah. people keep asking like how <laughs> you know and right. when it, when things are like oh well this kind of is like this it gets harder to tell them how to do it and so it, it's interesting because role progression exists in larger organizations but the smaller your organization is the harder it is to move someone up if there's only 10 of us like do we do you really need a director of three people you know right. <laughs> like, sure. your departments totally. are, are all individual contributors at that point but if you don't have a direction for people to go um whether it's up or laterally like people don't feel like they're moving somewhere like people need to be in movement to feel progress um Career crafting helps a lot of times with the lateral movement where role progression helps in my mind with like the upward movement yep. and you need both. You need pieces of both. Um, one helps people feel like they're getting better in the, in their chosen path currently. And, and it's a reinforcement that they're moving in the right direction. Um, adding senior levels to a job description is an easy way to give a financial and title progression to someone because they're a better version of what you hired sure. you know, when they were first entered into that role. And then two, three years later, it's like, if you give them something to say, Hey, you now do this role at an excellent level, 
it costs little to you to offer that title. It costs little to you to give that promotion. Um, that promotion in theory might be equal to what a standard raise would have been that year anyways, but it reinforces that this person's moving in the right direction. Um, also sort of like chopping up roles into um, more specific focuses, you know, uh, you have an associate or like an assistant and then uh, a coordinator, then a specialist, then a strategist. Oftentimes people only have one or two titles and that's it. If you chop it up some more and you define what that progression looks like, you could be giving raises and title changes every six months early on in someone's career where they, that reinforcement really keeps them moving. Obviously, you start hitting managers and directors and you're just it's intended you're in that role longer because to make the jump, you need more experience. Right. So building that upward um, role progression and then also career crafting. So allowing people the opportunity where if they're bored or unfulfilled or have become interested in something over here finding a way to allow them to move over there and basically redefine their progression into a different path. Mm. That's actually hard to do when you only have so many roles in your organization. But I found as a small company, sometimes it's just a matter of removing two things from somebody's responsibilities um, and retooling their title so that they feel more fulfilled by the work that's there. Obviously we have to find a new home for the other work, but interestingly yeah. enough, Usually when people are, are working on career crafting, it's almost like several are doing it at the same time where I can actually easily find a new home for that. Someone wants Are they to trading responsibilities? Anything. You know, is that kind of how it plays out? Yeah. Moving things around. Um, or, you know, are, are two or three people looking to give up certain elements and pursuing new things? Could that be bundled in a new role that I need to hire for anyways? It's, it's work. Um, it's different too, because most people are not used to roles and responsibilities changing so quickly. I actually learned that from HubSpot. HubSpot does that all the dang time, especially early on back in 2013. I mean, people were changing titles, new roles were being invented. And it was so cool to see that that existed because I had never experienced that in a small agency or in a large organization, that sort of movement to keep people happy and keep them hungry and trying new things and improving them. Um, and it's interesting because I had a recent talk with my team and we were talking about how usually around like the 12 month mark at a company, people tend to get the itch. Like they feel like they've mastered their role and they might be looking around to see what else is out there. And about this, the 16 month mark is where like they might jump. Um, and, and I asked my team, you know, what do you guys think about that? Because we're only a two-year-old company and some people are coming on their two years anniversary. And I said, for a small agency, um, that's unique that we have this much, this many people, original people from day one still here. And a lot of them commented on it's the fact that we career craft, that they can hmm. try new things. The jump isn't always like financially motivated. The jump often is because they want to try something new or there's no progression in their role. They feel stuck. They're ready for a new challenge. When you can career craft, when you can role progress, it's like you can try new things. It's always exciting. It's like, you know, dating someone who's always willing to try something new versus <laughs> somebody who's just like, you do the same things. You started like, oh, okay, I'm right. a little tired of this. Let's spice right. it up. So those are easy ways to just keep people interested, keep developing um, more talented cross-trained individuals. And, you know, there's a, there's a, 
dark side to it if you want to if you want to look at what the man thinks when <laughs> when he looks at this but uh you know the dark side is you want to cross train because if someone does leave if someone is sick or injured if sure. someone has if someone wants to be able to go have a vacation and check out and not have stress someone else has to do the work there's no so single every, point of failure anymore, right? Exactly. So if everyone's cross-trained in such a way or everyone's done someone else's job at one point in time, we could easily deal with those life situations and no one has to feel like anxiety or frustration with either being having to deal with it or the one who is delivering it. I think I always had great guilt when I wanted to take a vacation or if I was sure. sick and it was unplanned, right? Um, I always felt like I still had to be available and still had to work. I couldn't just heal or I couldn't just vac vacation, if there's even a word for that. Um, <laughs> and I think I want that peace of mind. I think that then loops around to employee happiness. And so there, there's a lot of motives. They're not all pure. They're sure. not all like, I do this out of the kindness of my heart. I'm a responsible business owner, but I feel like this is the 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 most honest way to get to that result to protect the company to protect the people to make people happy um, and to, to help us grow i want to get into happiness and well-being work-life integration in a second one last question on the improving talent and uh product side obviously this has been an element of your team's culture since day one um and so people have been open and receptive and comfortable to talking about career crafting um any tips for uh, another solutions partner who's bought in, loves the idea? Like I can imagine trying to teach an employee to tell their boss that they want to just find a whole new role or have a whole new passion. Any tips on how to like foster that type of communication culturally? Yeah. So we do a lot of entrepreneurial projects. Um, so I kind of give people a taste of what it could look like to do other things or new things we might consider rolling out. And getting their feedback and talking through and kind of being their business partner on this new little venture. Um, I, I don't believe in annual reviews. I believe in like in the moment feedback. And so early on when new people come on board, I try to do like at least some sort of monthly connect where we're talking about what's making you happy, what's not making you happy, what's challenging. And then like I follow through. So if somebody's like this client is just difficult for me, um, I just, I feel like I can't continue. I've, I've moved whole teams around to help solve the problem. If there's no, if there's no other alternative to solving it, why keep someone in a comfortable, in a comfortable relationship? Sure. So I swiftly act on problems. So people know that if they're going to tell me something, something's going to happen. And not only is it going to happen, you know, eventually it's going to happen now. Like we're going to address this now. Um, they also know then they don't bring light complaints, right? They go, that's yeah, kind of annoying, but I can handle it. Right. Like they, they learn how to communicate back to me, but that's because I like, I model that early. I have those conversations early. It does take three, four, five months of these conversations where I'm like, trust me, just tell me how you feel. Like, like, you know, and I have team members who talk about other team members and are asking my advice. Like, how can I work better with this person? Yeah. Uh, I'm having a challenge. Everything is done in earnest everyone is trying to be better it's there's no gossip it's like we know our strengths we know our weaknesses we openly talk about them with each other and we're all trying to make each other better but it starts from the top and a lot of business owners or managers don't have time because for whatever reason other things have been put as priority i made this a priority i'm i was having 
seven hours of calls every month with people and whatever prep time um, with my team to have these conversations. Then over time, we didn't need to meet as frequently because I knew that if they had an issue or if I had an issue, we would speak immediately. Yep. So we built those behaviors. So a new employee has that treatment until they've basically learned the behavior. It sounds like we're at like the triad here of uh, radical candor, mentorship, and then action orientation. You know what I mean? Um, which is great. And it sounds like once you build the behaviors and the muscle memories, uh, they don't happen as frequent, but it's probably there's more intention and direction and clarity when they do happen. These conversations. Yeah, and if you're an employer who operates with intention, then you then that that beginning conversation we have where it's a two way street you get the same back. And now you have an employment experience. We're experiencing this together, building, growing, creating together, um, optimizing this together. I mean, my team right now is, they're really my business partners (laughs) with less risk, I guess you'd say. Um, (laughs) Everything we have is entrepreneurial. We're constantly creating new things. People have ownership over product and service lines that we offer, Um, oftentimes, they do so well. I just give some advice sometimes and I, I let them run with it, but it took time with each individual to get them to that point. Um, and so, you know, going back to those points of like, you know, investing in career crafting as an option, like making it an available option, um, role progression. So planning your roles early on in your company and continuing to optimize those steps and micro steps. Um, allowing your team to have entrepreneurial experiences. So perhaps there isn't a role for them to jump to, like there's just no business viability at this time. Sure. Tossing them a project that benefits the company that's a little bit outside of their normal realm so they can try something new, launch a new product, you know, configure something um, really helps everyone, right? I didn't have to do the R&D. They did it. They loved it. They, they, um, launch something new for us. It's great. Uh, and then the cross training, you know, just to protect everyone and give peace of mind so that employees can, can follow whatever life offers them. Um, sure. I, I'm a big believer that someone should be able to show up and say in a week, I want to take a week vacation and not a single person should like flinch. Like, it's just yeah. great. We, we have you covered. We the have you covered. Yeah, we know there. what to do. Yep. Yep. Um, all right, let's talk work-life integration. Obviously, the employee happiness and well-being being like the second half of this coin. Uh, you mentioned your preferences are around asynchronous communication and not just like a straight, a straight uh, a nine to five, eight to five, eight to six block of dedicated work time. So how does your, the preferences that you have, how does that translate to this culture of work-life integration for the rest of the team? Yeah. So yeah, asynchronous communication is one of them. Um, Usually you work asynchronously because you're remote and also because you're flex time. Not all remote workers are flex time. And I think when everybody went remote, they assumed like just chaos is going to happen. No one's going to log in and people are going to be in bed when they're on their calls and craziness happening, which, you know, sometimes happens, but um remote workers fall into two camps. You know, you have the remote workers who are just physically located elsewhere, but operate just as if they were in an office. They schedule meetings, they turn on their camera when they're having a call, um, they take their lunch breaks, they work from this time to this time and they shut it down. They are not a flex time worker. They're just a physically relocated office worker. Um, And I think now that remote has sort of like become so widespread, you're seeing these two 
camps of people. Um, and then there's the people like me who are like, want to work whenever, you know, and that's where asynchronous communications, if taught well, both of those people can work together just fine. Yeah. Most communications don't need an immediate answer and people who feel like they do have not been trained to work on the things that need immediate attention versus, you know, slotting the things that don't need immediate attention elsewhere. Um, also, there's only 24 hours in a day. And if you're in a relatively similar time zone range, you're going to have crossover. So as long as that crossover, you're aware of when those things exist, that's where then you have your focused collaborative communication time. You don't need all eight hours to be on the same like schedule, I think. As long um, as there's just that overlap and you maximize that overlap. Yep. Exactly. I think and that comes from communication and calendaring and skills that people should have but never have. When you could just walk to somebody's desk, you don't have to build those time management skills. I think you bring up a really great point that flex time for like, it doesn't need to go to the extremes for every employee and that my flex time preference might just be uh, what folks call a traditional workday. Right. And that is my choice in and of itself, making it flex time. Right. Is that, but I guess like, what is the most extreme instance of flex time in your team? Like what, what, what are some of the, the crazier schedules that you see? Um, it's mine. Okay. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> most of my team does, you know, so, so I have, let me give you a, a variety of examples. I have one individual likes to wake up very early, checks, e like 6am, checks email, responds to things, plans for the day, checks out, works out, meditates, does a, a couple hour morning routine, comes back, hops on some meetings, checks out, you know, um, I have another person who works four hours, takes a three hour break, works four more hours. And then I have another person who's like a central time zone from, you know, eight to three. That's it. Like, and, and, and he'll respond to Slack messages occasionally, sure. but he's like, you can't even expect him near his computer. It's, and that's options. And in my mind, remote and flex time should be about options. Can we give people the, the limits of what's acceptable and then allow them to craft that? Um, one of my memorable in-office employment experiences was a boss that said, as long as you arrive anytime between 6 a.m. and 10 p.m., it doesn't matter. We just need that crossover between people to plan company-wide meetings. I, I was there at 10. <laughs> you know, I, was, I was the late one who would come yep. in. That was amazing because I never had an employer who said you could come at 10. I didn't mind working straight eight hour. I didn't want to come in at 10 and leave early. I would yeah. work my full eight hours. I just am not a morning person. So it, it, that opened my eyes that, that, that sort of flexible way to work is you just give people your parameters that you're willing to operate in. And then you, sometimes it's just widening it. So, so for you, you're like, yeah, I might still be working more traditionally, but I have the freedom to take two hour or three hour lunch break or work a half day today and work a little longer the other days because my employer has given me this option. 90% of the time I don't take a more flexible option because I like structure, but if my kids needed something or a family member had an issue or I have a dental appointment, the, the inconvenience of the situation doesn't bother everywhere. And, that, and that's the integrated part of it all. It's like, if you're fully integrated, life doesn't bother work and work doesn't bother life. Mm -hmm. they can still operate. They naturally. coexist. Yeah. Um, has you, have you seen any ripple effects for better or for worse for scheduling all hands meetings or like important 
client meetings that take multiple folks across the team? Like, have you seen any ripple effects uh, on rolling out flex time? Um, you know, not necessarily, but that's because early on I train on like extreme levels of project management and calendar management. Sure. Um, and so, and, and we actually, as a team, don't, don't necessarily try to have a culture of meeting all the time. We have our Monday meetings where we go through company stuff, client stuff. Um, then, you know, different groupings of team members meet with different clients throughout the week. And then if we're working on independent projects, those independent people get together. But the, the company mandating something only happens for an hour and a half on a Monday. Sure. Everything else, like we're a big Slack culture. So most things can just be updates on Slack. We use the heck out of HubSpot. So every process possible that can be automated is from mm -hmm. invoicing to a deal close to all the, so all these things that usually required manual involvement takes time. You, you start stacking those on top of each other and people can't do other things. It's all been automated. We have 120 article knowledge base on just how to operate our business. So no two people have to meet to talk yeah. about a process that, happens over and over again. So I feel like if you are properly planned, if you know how to manage your schedule, communicate uh, updates without needing a meeting and have your processes dialed in, it's actually not an issue at all. But because people lack these three things, it's a, totally an issue because yeah, now you need the foundation first. Right, right. Yeah. Just thorough, proper documentation, automating all the eligible tasks that are currently manual, but could be automated. Uh, and then real, real consistent training on calendar and communication best practices for the team. Most That's things great. could be relayed yeah. like, in a Slack message, honestly. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. One, one final question, I think, uh, and then we'll make sure to wrap up. I know we're up on time. One question. Uh, have you had any examples of folks trying to abuse the power of flex time? Or have you had that course correct any behaviors, any, any pitfalls on the early implementation of flex time? Um, usually it's just people who don't have a strong calendaring skills. I think early on individuals realize that not many jobs operate this way. So abuse of the system is not going to behoove them because they're not going to be around much longer because of that. We've, we've actually programmed in financial and other benefit incentives into certain behaviors. So logging your 40 hour work week and having all your HubSpot certifications for three months in a row every month consistently unlocks our new um, reduced work program. So now they can work 25% less for the same pay. So at that point, Interesting. It, they have been incentivized greatly. Our bonus structure is connected to doing those things. So I guess it just arrives at a place where if you don't do those things, you don't get these benefits. And honestly, I don't care because then I'm not losing money on sure. giving you these benefits, you know? Right. So it's, it's, it's less, less of trying to call people out for abuse and more of trying to say, these are so important to me. I've put incentive, like massive incentives working, yeah less is a huge incentive. Um, and I found that people who work remote really only need like a good six to seven hour day and they get way more done. Um, some people can even argue that they can do it in five to six um, than traditionally what people do in an office. So yeah. I'm willing to let them work less, be more refreshed, 
uh, take time off more regularly um, because I'm getting a better output. It's it's no different than me going, you know what, you guys are working so hard, I'm going to give you all a raise. Well, instead of giving everybody a raise, I just said, hey, you all going to work less. Um, right. So, but I think that's just normal, like business sense. Like if you incentivize the behaviors that you want, then people will do it. So unless you log your 40 hours or whatever your target hours are, if you're on the reduced work um, period and have all your certs for us yep. being fully certified is really important, which is like 33. It's a lot. Um, hey, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir on that front. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I am incentivizing it. So it's like you will get quarterly bonuses. You will be eligible for promotions and you'll have a reduced work schedule. If you don't do those things, you just don't get those things. Um, or some people just take longer to execute and arrive at that excellence, right? And that's okay. It'll just take longer for them to actualize the benefit. Um, but I feel like that's a normal setup that should exist, right? You should tie your uh, incentives to the behaviors you want to see. 100%. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I think I lied. I actually have one final question. It's how I wrap every every episode up. Uh, what, what is the weirdest part of agency life? You know, what's interesting is like my previous agency, because I think I was an unhappy worker and because I had some preconceived notions of the relationship between a, um, an agency and a client was contentious. I never viewed my clients, um, as friends. Mm. And what's interesting is now that I've put, you know, well-being and happiness and communication and improving ourselves and all these like really warm, fuzzy <laughs> um, things at the front line of how we operate our company, it's almost like it's like it's passing on to our clients. Mm. And I've made some incredible friendships with current and past clients, seeing them move to other like careers. Um, it's really turned into a relationship-based business where they just happen to pay us for this friendship. I mean, we yeah. truly get intimate um, and, and are there for our clients and it's, it's just different. And I, and it, I know I've seen other agencies achieve this, but for me, I think I couldn't achieve it until I crafted a, a working environment an employment experience that I, I really was enjoying that that happiness trickles down. I think it's, it's really true where if you treat your people well, then they treat your clients well. So it's like, right, I get now that. I'm treating yep. myself well. Now I'm treating all of us well. It's like, we have such better just relationships with just everyone involved in our organization. That's great. I love to hear that. Uh, well, Nicole, we are officially out of time. Thank you so much uh, for coming on, sharing the, the stories and the employment experiences those initiatives uh, with you and your team. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll see you all soon. Uh, and for those tuning in, thanks again for watching another episode of Agency Unfiltered.